Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to the program. I'm Lee Lonsberry. About 9 o'clock last night, between 9 and 9.30, did you get that alert on your phone? Did you look down and see, oh, there's another emergency uh, broadcast system uh, alert there on the phone with some instructions uh, and a link to click as the governor was making some new announcements, some uh, some new guidelines, requirements, mandates in our battle against the coronavirus here in the state of Utah. We're going to get into that in just a moment, but as I promised before the break, I, Chuck Schumer, uh, Senate Minority Leader, Democrat Senator from New York, following remarks by Mitch McConnell on the Senate floor, uh, Chuck Schumer has taken to the floor. Let's dip in for a few minutes and listen to what Senator Schumer has to say. Biden ...to confront those challenges head on, to relieve their suffering, to repair our democracy, to recover our economy, and rebuild a country and a planet for this generation and for the next. I have no doubt their faith will be rewarded. But I also have no doubt that the task ahead is daunting. While the country prepares for a change in administration, it must also brace for the darkest days of the COVID-19 pandemic. Over the weekend, the United States recorded its 10 millionth case. We are now confirming nearly 100,000 new cases of COVID per day, on track to eclipse more than a million new cases per week. As exhausted and impatient as we all are for our lives, our livelihoods to return to normal, experts are warning us that the worst phase is still ahead. The quickest way to turn the tide, crush the virus, and get back to normal is to do what we should have been doing all along. Take the virus seriously, listen to the scientists, and dedicate the necessary resources to get the job done. President-elect Biden is already preparing to do just that. Today, he named several health experts and scientific advisors to serve on a COVID-19 task force. It sends the right signal that while the president-elect will not assume office for another few months, his administration will hit the ground running and its policy on COVID-19 will refreshingly be dictated by facts and by science. It's a major turning point that soon we will have an administration that actually acknowledges that this is a health care crisis. We're that knows our economy step away won't from the, the floor of the Senate here for a, a time. I'd invite you to, to go back and listen to this, these remarks in their entirety if you have a chance. Uh, also, you heard reference there made by Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer to the plan unveiled just this morning by uh, candidate Joe Biden and his plan outlining what would be uh, his actions, what will be his actions should he uh, assume the office of presidency. You hear in my language there, I'm not uh, yet ready to to declare a victor here, and it is because, and this goes back to the point we made earlier in the program, uh, news outlets, uh, people yakking on the radio like me, we don't declare, we don't declare victors in races like this. Uh, 
Uh, all right. That is, first off, your job as a voter, our job collectively as voters. Uh, and then ultimately, it is left to those within the electoral system itself. That's the county clerks. Uh, those are the secretaries of state and the lieutenant governors around the country and ultimately uh, the electors in the Electoral College. Uh, and so while the numbers do look very good for Joe Biden right now, uh, let's always remember that it's not you and me making these decisions, uh, but rather but rather United States statute. <laughs> So we'll get there and ultimately have uh, a final answer on this. I- I'm confident we will. And whatever uh, tomorrow holds, you and I will weather it together. OK, yesterday, again, just uh, after nine before nine thirty, an alert came to the cell phones. There was a link there and it led us to a video about eight minutes long, pre-recorded by Governor Gary Herbert, where he did something that he had uh, resisted for the duration thus far of this coronavirus pandemic. He has so often referred to uh, mask mandates as a uh, an arrow left in the the quiver and that as our battle continued against this virus, uh, he yet was not at a position or didn't feel he was yet had arrived at a position where he needed to pull that arrow and use it in the fight. Well, uh, that changed just last night uh, as he made his announcement. Because scientists and medical experts overwhelmingly recommend masks as an effective way to limit the spread of COVID-19, I am placing the entire state of Utah under a mask mandate until further notice. Today's program will be heavily, heavily dependent on your input. We, throughout the rest of the program, will be speaking. Well, we'll speak with Spencer Cox after the commercial break. Then we'll get Greg Bell on the line with the Hospital Association. And then I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. Uh, I'll open up the phone lines. And right now, if you have some thoughts to share, 57500 is the Utah Community Credit Union text line. I want to hear what you have to think about these uh, new announcements from Governor Gary Herbert, the new state of emergency, and specifically the mask mandate and the request that for two weeks we not gather with anyone outside of our own household. By order of my office and the Utah Department of Health, Utahns may not participate in or host casual social gatherings with individuals other than those in their immediate household for the next two weeks, which is the incubation period of COVID-19. That's hard. I know. Believe me. I know. I'm a big family guy. You hear me talking about family all the time here on this program. And, well, uh, the family of mine, which lives in my household, it's it's pretty small. It's just me and Mrs. Lonsberry and baby Piper. And, yeah, we had a great weekend there. Uh, But we have much more family we'd love to see. We have friends we'd love to see. And uh, with that said, though, we do understand, I understand, that this request is uh, is a required one. And that it will, in fact, uh, give us a, a sense of how best to proceed in our battle against this virus, specifically in slowing the threat posed to our hospital system right now. 57500. That's the Utah Community Credit Union text line. Send me a note. Uh, I want to know what you think. When you watched this from the governor yesterday, how did you respond? Also, when you heard him taking questions uh, today, specifically talking about the strain placed on the hospital system, uh, what did you think about that? Also, Dr. Dunn uh, talked about these restrictions. Uh, she, she explained why these restrictions in particular were put into place. In the process, we gathered information from across the nation and, and other countries as well, in addition to our own specific Utah data to come up with the best public health recommendations to slow the spread. And, you know, I really believe that if every Utah adheres to the principles that were outlined by 
Governor Herbert, we will start to see a decrease in our cases, um, and we need that urgently. So it's up to all of us as individuals to really adhere to those principles to make sure that our healthcare systems can maintain the capacity to treat patients for both COVID and non-COVID issues. So there you have it. We're going to take a break right now. When we return, uh, my guest will be Lieutenant Governor, current Lieutenant Governor, and Governor-elect Spencer Cox to talk about what's happening here in Utah, what has happened, and what will happen in the days, weeks, and months to come. We'll talk vaccines as well. Ahead, Spencer Cox, my guest on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. When it rains, it pours. Luckily, here in the state of Utah, we're resilient people. And we faced hardship in the past. And we're going to do it again successfully going into the future. You heard last night, as I mentioned before the break, that our phones uh, were a buzzing. About 9.30 last night, word came that the governor had some additional restrictions to place over the state in an effort to uh, stem the flow and the spread of this coronavirus. We've been hitting some unfortunate records lately, including today 444 Utahns in hospital recovering from the coronavirus. That has put a serious strain on the capacity for our hospital systems to give care, not only to those 444 uh, patients suffering from COVID-19, but also to, think about this, anyone else who might uh, need to, unfortunately, make their way into a hospital setting. Uh, not to give away too much uh, family details, but little baby Piper split her chin open last week. We had to go to the emergency room. And I don't know what I would have done if... If uh, we had shown up and they say, oh, yeah, sorry, now we can see that your first and only born daughter is bleeding pretty profusely from the bottom of her face there. But listen, uh, we're all tied up here. You're going to have to find somewhere else. Now, luckily, that wasn't the case. Luckily, they were able to super glue her shut and send us on our way. Very happy outcome there. But it could have been a lot worse, and it could have been made worse by this coronavirus. Joining us on the line to speak a bit about what the state is doing and what we can look forward to in the future is Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. I should also introduce him as Governor-elect. Mr. Cox, sir, how are you? Lee, I'm doing very well, thank you. It's great to be with you. Yeah, I think this is the first time uh, you and I have spoken since uh, Election Day, so let me extend to you my congratulations. Well done. Thank you. That's very kind. I appreciate it. We've got a, we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Uh, now, we are, are facing some terrible spikes here. Right? We, we have heard throughout the morning, uh, both from the, the, the governor, from Dr. Dunn. We have also heard from uh, Greg Bell and other participating hospitals in the Hospital Association. Uh, we understand the severity of this, uh, and I want to talk about that in a moment. But first, uh, another bit of uh, related news that broke here today came from an announcement from Pfizer that they have a 90% effective vaccine candidate. It's in the pipeline. It's looking good. Uh, 90%. That number uh, it caught me off guard. My understanding is, as uh, me and others were becoming armchair epidemiologists, was that we were probably going to be looking at something uh, ranging from like mid-50s to 70% effectiveness max. W- what, what will life be like here in Utah once the vaccine arrives? Well, this is the, the best news possible. It's, it's news we've been waiting for. It's news we've uh, foreshadowed a little bit. Um, we had some indications that the trials were going even better than people expected. And, uh, and I'm so glad that, that they were finally able to wrap those trials up and, and make this announcement. And, and that 90% number is huge. I, I just, I, I can't, 
I, I mean, people really should be excited about that. Um, we had Dr. Burks here just over a week ago. It was last Saturday, a week ago Saturday. And, uh, and what's, what's most impressive about that, unfortunately, the Pfizer vaccine is, is a little bit more difficult to distribute just because it's one that requires um, uh, deep refrigeration. Um, but w- what it means is it, it, it's also uh, foreshadowing that that the other uh, the other um, work that's happening around vaccines, the other vaccines that are out there are likely to be highly successful as well. And that's what Dr. Burks told us, that if ever there was a candidate for a high performing vaccine, it is this one. And uh, and so th- this for this this foretells that life is going to get really good in 2021 for Utah. And I, I think I hope that this good news will encourage us to buckle down right now. Um, it, it's one thing when, you know, we're looking at maybe a year or two of this and, and we just know we can't keep doing that. It's another thing when we're looking at just a few months of this and knowing that we can do it and we can save lives. Well, once we have a vaccine here in the state of Utah, it is widely distributed. Uh, are, are we looking at a return to normalcy? Yeah, yeah, we we really are. Um, I think that people that are high risk will still have to take uh, some precautions and be careful. Um, but uh, but we we are absolutely looking at a at a return to normal, and uh, and that's exciting to me. I hope it's exciting to everyone. And I I just want to say, you know, the, the the first doses of these vaccines. It's important to note that they are actively manufacturing these vaccines right now, even though we don't have approval. We won't have mass distribution until later into you know first quarter 2021. Um, but but we expect to actually have doses of this virus here in the next couple of weeks, or excuse me, doses of the vaccine here in the next couple of weeks. Um, and as soon as they get approval, we can start with our, our frontline healthcare workers and then and then expand expand out to uh, to those who are most vulnerable. So, I, again, this is exciting news and we expect to have some rolling announcements over the next uh, few weeks and months of of other vaccines that are also successful. One of the hallmarks of our battle against this pandemic I have observed is uh, really just repeating the fundamentals over and over and over. I I bet if you look back over your own, uh, you know, the past six, seven months of your life, you have likely uh, given the same advice countless times. You have repeated the same fundamentals uh, countless times. And I want to ask you here to take the next uh, 30 seconds or so to do it once again. The the vaccine is is incredibly important uh, in my view. And this 90 percent effectiveness uh, claimed by Pfizer makes the news all the better. And yet there are those who would be hesitant uh, to to receive a vaccine. What's your message to those folks? Well, my message to them is uh, please, please consider getting this vaccine. Um, we have had people already vaccinated in the state of Utah. I have a close friend that was part of the trial uh, who's received it, who is doing very well, who has the antibodies. Um, and, and we've been able to prove that this is unsafely. The good news is that uh, a, a recent report said that Utahns were the second most likely in the nation to get this vaccine, to be willing to get this vaccine. So that's good news. But to that fundamental piece, right now it's crunch time. We, we, we're not fudging the numbers. I mean, the hospitalizations, I, you know, I don't care. Case counts don't matter. What matters are hospitalizations. And we are overwhelming our hospitals. We are turning away patients from other states right now. Um, we're load leveling. Uh, we have one ICU um, in, in, uh, in McKady hospitals, about 150 percent of capacity. Um, this is unsustainable. And, and unfortunately, we are going to lose lives. And, and that piece you mentioned about people being able to access that for other things like heart attacks and car crashes and uh, minor surgeries, all of those 
things are going to be put in danger. And so the fundamentals are true. Uh, stay six feet away from people, wear masks all the time, do not associate with people outside of your immediate household over the next couple of weeks. We can beat this together, follow the, uh, the guidelines as laid out last night by the governor, and uh, we'll get to a vaccine soon. We can do this, Utah. Let's, let's go. The coronavirus and politics have become inextricably linked with one another. I want to ask you a question about timing. Uh, the announcement from the governor goes into place today, a statewide mask mandate, a two-week limit on social gatherings. Uh, there are those who might understandably wonder about the timing of this announcement. We're not even a week past uh, Election Day. Have the, have the circumstances deteriorated so much in the last week that this declaration is objectively necessary? Or... Or does or does the election day timing uh, factor in here at all? I, I hate this question more than any other question I've ever received on the coronavirus, and and I, I don't I don't hate the question. I understand the question. I hate the circumstances and the timing of this. I, let me state as clearly as I possibly can that this decision has absolutely nothing to do with the election. Absolutely nothing. The election in Utah was never in doubt. That that's that's not an issue. And in fact, if you if you anybody paying attention knows that three weeks ago the governor made some big changes, including a mask mandate for ninety percent of Utahns. 23 of our counties and all of the big counties um, were included in that mask mandate. So if if it was about the election, then he never would have done that three weeks ago. Unfortunately, what happened is it takes two weeks to figure out if those changes work. That's just how this, that's the latency of this virus. Um, It turns out they did not work. One of the things we heard over and over again was that it was confusing. And so the governor wanted to take the confusion out of that last night. And if you just objectively look at the numbers, what's happened in the past week, we have seen the largest spikes in case counts, the largest spikes in hospitalizations, and the largest spikes in deaths over the past week than any time in in, in the seven months of this virus uh, by, by a long shot. I mean, we went from barely reaching 2,000 cases to hitting the 3,000 case mark in a matter of a week. Um, that is that is huge, and it is unsustainable. And the healthcare uh, providers, the public health people came to us and said, uh, look, this, this is it. This is the jump we were fearing. It's here now. We have to do more. And the governor, the governor came out. This would have happened at any time. It just so happened that it was the week of the election. And uh, I hate that it happened during the election. Very good. Lieutenant Governor, Governor-elect Spencer Cox, thank you for your time. I'll let you get back to it. Look forward to speaking to you again. Thanks, Lee. All righty. Uh, we're going to take a break now, get some news. When we return, we're back at it with a deep dive and a hard look into what's happening in Utah hospitals. Greg Bell, president and CEO of the Utah Hospital Association, is my guest next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. We are now into the final hour of today's episode where we thus far have covered a lot of ground, right? Some developments in the presidential election over the weekend. Uh, the many, many news outlets uh, declaring or at least projecting that Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. I remind you time and time again that it's not the pundits or the news outlets that make those decisions. Uh, it first off and foremost is uh, you, the voter. And then we rely on election system, an electoral system, uh, which is supported by county clerks, by secretaries of state, by lieutenant governors and ultimately electors. Uh, in deciding who will be the next president of the United States. So we'll continue to follow an intrigue. We won't deny the numbers right now. They look very good for uh, Joe Biden uh, in, in, in all the states he might need to secure the requisite number of electors. But uh, we'll continue to follow that. That's just one of many news stories to have broken, uh, honestly, in the past uh, really just two days. Uh, of course, the developments in the election also 
Also, we heard here this morning that Pfizer, now this is this may be the best news, and it is that Pfizer is knocking on the door of having a 90% effective vaccine uh, to help in our fight against this coronavirus. They need some FDA approval for safety and efficacy, and then we got to sort out some distribution hurdles. Turns out you got to keep that thing pretty cold. <laughs> to ensure that it remains safe and effective. And so figuring that out to the various places where it will need to be stored along the distribution chain. We'll have to figure that out, but I am confident, and I sure hope that you are. I know the I know the markets are confident, the Dow, S&P, NASDAQ, all of them uh, into record territory uh, today. NASDAQ dipping a little bit right now, but Dow and S&P uh, really both in, in better areas than they have been in uh, in years. In fact, setting some standalone records. Anyway... The third bit of news comes from the office of Governor Gary Herbert. Uh, it was announced just yesterday that uh, due to the hospital capacity uh, and us reaching that or getting close to reaching it, that new mandates and restrictions are uh, required. The motivation behind that is because of the case numbers, but mostly because of the overcrowding of our hospitals. They are really at the brink of not being able to take any more people in, in the overflow mode, particularly in our intensive care units. Joining us now to understand exactly what's happening is President and CEO of the Utah Hospital Association, Greg Bell. Mr. Bell, thank you for coming back onto the program. How are you? I'm well, Lee. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. G- give me something to celebrate. Are there any bright spots? Is there is there any reason to, to, to be optimistic here? What, what, what should we cling to if we're looking for positivity? Well, I mean, this news about the vaccine is just uh, just a game-changer when Dr. Burks and Dr. Redfield from the CDC were here last week, they mentioned to the governor and others of us that uh, they expected to start rolling out a vaccine by Thanksgiving. And I about fell off my chair. I had no idea it was uh, going to be that quick. And, uh, you know, we probed a lot and, and said, well, who gets that, et cetera. And, and early on, it's going to be health care workers and frontline people and, and the vulnerable, et cetera, et cetera. When does it come to the general populace? You know, more like second quarter of next year, mm-hmm. uh, which is really, I mean, they named it Operation Warp Speed. That is warp speed. So that is big news. We expected this would have a 60, 70 percent efficacy like flu shot. Uh, I, don't, I haven't heard anything about how long lasting it is. You know, will it wear off? But my word, if we have a, a broadly available vaccine that uh, 80, 90 percent of our populist uh, take, then we're going to nail this thing. Yeah, you bring up a great point, a great outstanding question. We know, uh, or at least we know of the claims of Pfizer of 90% efficacy, uh, but how long does that last? What is the shelf life in our system once administered? That, that'll be an important question to, to have answered because it will shape policy going forward. Uh, now, yeah. l- let's talk about uh, something that you have been dialed into now since day one of this pandemic, and it is the capacity of our hospitals. What, what in the most frank terms, uh, is the circumstance right now? Well, um, you know, the, the spread is very disappointing. Uh, one month ago, our rate of positives among testing persons was around uh, 13 to 14 percent. Yesterday was uh, over 21 percent. So more than 20 percent of people, and and, you know, we're testing 7 to 10 to 12,000 people a day. So more than 20 percent of people who are tested are positive for this disease. Now, 
that's a lot of testing. But if you have that many positives, Lee, you have to believe that there are at least an equal number out in the community who, A, don't want to be tested, B, are asymptomatic and don't get tested, and C, just don't go through the friction of, of getting an appointment and waiting in line, et cetera, et cetera. So the spread of this thing is just staggering. I mean, it's just staggering. And so we go, you know, we jet basically from 1,500 cases to 2,300 to 2,500. And then several days uh, last week, we're knocking on the door of 3,000. So, we, I mean, that's just unsustainable. We've been very fortunate in that our hospitals through, I think, I ascribe it to Providence, that we've just lapped at the top of the dam but we haven't overflowed. Mm. Uh, let me just tell you, the University of Utah reported yesterday uh, that uh, they're under high stress level. We check this every day. And, you know, what's your level? Are you moderate? Um, are you uh, stressed? Are you high stressed or severely stressed? The university said they were high stressed. The ICU capacity, they're 95% of the COVID units. Now, remember, to treat COVID, you need a negative pressure room. Right. So that when a person walks in there, it's a vacuum sucking air in rather than than uh, pushing your infected air out into the uh, rest of the hospital. Traditional ICU was 80 percent. Their acute care was 88 percent. Steward was um, at 83 percent, a moderate stress level. Intermountain was at a high stress level. Um, They had some beds available across the state. One in Weber County, four in Washington County, some in Salt Lake County, nine in Utah County. Well, you know, if you live in Washington County, a bed in, in Ogden, right. you know, but that's not exactly what we want. So, yeah, we're under pressure. We're under a lot of pressure. Last question. Uh, again, we're speaking with Greg Bell, president and CEO of the Utah Hospital Association. Uh, we we need to turn a corner. We need to fix something. We need to change the course on which we find ourselves right now. Will the statewide mask mandate in this two-week circuit breaker, if you want to call it that, will that be sufficient? We don't know, um, but we we have a good end good indication masks have been scientifically proven to uh, reduce the spread. We've seen this happen throughout East Asia. We've seen this happen in New Zealand and Australia and other places. <clears throat> so if we really comply this time, we, I mean, it, there's broad non-compliance, but if we get it out into our <clears throat> small shops and stores, and if we can stop the social spread, the people are living in their little hive, their bubble, um, and not not having extended family gatherings, not having, you know, friends and family over or doing things uh, outside the lane. If we can do those two things, I think we have a real fair chance at uh, holding the line. Greg Bell, President and CEO of the Utah Hospital Association, thank you so much for your time and the work that you're doing. Thank you. Good talk to you, Lee. All righty. Look forward to speaking again. We're going to take a quick break right now. When we return, I want to open up the phones to you. When you heard the governor's announcement, did that encourage you or discourage you to learn that now we in the state of Utah have entered the ranks of those underneath a statewide mask mandate? Are you encouraged or discouraged? Please call in. Let's you and I talk about it. 801-575-8255. 801-KSL-TALK is the number. You and me chatting next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is 
KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. Some good questions have just come through via text message. We're going to go to the phones in just a moment. I put out a request uh, to you. I want to hear from you. There have been so many developments over the past few days uh, here in the state of Utah. We are now one of the states under a statewide mask mandate. Utah Governor Gary Herbert just yesterday in a pre-recorded video announcement made it be known that uh, he, in fact, was, along with the Department of Health, uh, using uh, authorities granted him to enact a statewide mask mandate, also declaring a new state of emergency. In addition to that, social gatherings, yeah, they're off for a time, uh, for two weeks in particular, uh, not changing until November 23rd. You, If you are going to host a, a social gathering of sorts, it uh, has to be limited to those within your immediate household. So uh, you're not getting together with your friends down the street or your in-laws uh, the next county over uh, for the next two weeks. And uh, there's some other things uh, folded into that, but you've got the alert. You know the details. How do you respond to all that? Are you encouraged or discouraged? I, 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 hope, I hope that it's encouraging. I, I know that for me it, uh, it is encouraging. Especially, especially with today's announcement out of Pfizer that we've got a 90% vaccine on the horizon. But I hope that it is encouraging. I hope that you are able to see it as something that may uh, limit the spread of this virus. And that you will understand and accept uh, those in the scientific community who believe that keeping distance from others will limit the spread of the virus. That only makes sense to me. I know masks are tough and Uh, They're uncomfortable. Um, In fact, uh, just uh, now got a text message reads very upset over mask mandate. I cannot breathe with one on. I'm the main main breadwinner for my family and work two frontline jobs. Well, uh, I'm sorry. And I imagine that that circumstance you described there is very challenging. And I hope that you are able to find a way to breathe through that mask. Because we need to do it. We need to do it. Anyway, uh, this isn't about my views. It's about yours. <laughs> All right, so pick up the phone. Let me know what you think. 801-575-8255. That's 801-KSL-TALK is the number. Pick up the phone. Give me a call. Let's talk about what the governor has put in place. Does it encourage you or discourage you? We'll start things off with Allison calling from Liberty. Allison, what do you say about all this? I'm terribly discouraged, and the more I hear people talk, the angrier I get. I've been near tears all day. You just said that this man needs to learn how to breathe through a mask when he can't. It's a medical condition. Good grief. Since when is his or my health less important than somebody else's? Yeah, Allison, I I appreciate your call, and I'm grateful to you for it. And I I don't think that my words were you need to learn to breathe through a mask. I just know that we are all here together in a very challenging circumstance. Uh, challenges that we are, you know, challenges that we face today uh, have have never before been seen by us, at least in our experience. Right? Uh, if you call back to the ancestors of uh, the early 1900s, 1819, 20, uh, there are some Spanish flu folks who who would like to have a word with you. But here's one of the difficult things. If it is true that you are unable to uh, breathe through a mask, well, then the way around that is to find circumstances in which you don't need to wear a mask. That is in uh, your own home if you are able to keep a safe distance from folks. And finding ways uh, to, finding ways to stay safe 
and keep yourself comfortable, uh, that falls onto our shoulders. Next up, uh, let's go back to the phones. Uh, and the number, of course, is 801-575-8255. 801-KSL-TALK is the number. Call uh, lets you and I have a chat about things. Uh, Brent calling from Ogden. Brent, uh, what do you think? Hey, Lee, thanks for taking my call. You know, I'm uh, I'm not opposed really to, especially on the on onset of the mindset of having a care for my neighbors, care for the elderly, care for those around me by wearing a mask. What I cannot understand is how the governor of our state can say we have a statewide emergency, a statewide mandate. Oh, but it's okay for high school football people to continue their playoff games. That is reckless. And I think how can a governor who declares a state of emergency exempt people like that? That makes no sense to me. Do do you think it's – is it it that it – is the appearance of a double standard, or is it possible that these that these settings that uh, say uh, a football game where the stands are clear, where only allowed on the sidelines are like the coaching staff, no parents, uh, no support, no cheerleaders, no band? Is it possible that those are safe environments? Well, I, I think now I'm of course I understand the stands and the crowdedness of that. That's a whole you know that makes sense. What's in place now, but what about the players themselves? who are literally breathing heavily within not six feet or, I mean, within inches of each other. I mean, what about the foot, the whole football team that is physical contact and playing, perspiring, breathing heavy? I mean, those, those kids, those young men and possibly women are susceptible just like anybody else. So why not put a stay on all physical sports for two weeks? Yeah. Well, Rather than say, well, we'll see how it goes for two weeks with everyone being mandated and a $10,000 fine for business and so forth if they violate that. But high school can still play football and go out and remain the remainder of the season. That does not make sense. Does yeah. it make sense to you? Well, I, if the, if there are safety protocols that are able to be put in place, and if we are able to look back on successfully and safely executed football games, which I do believe we can, uh, I, I think – that uh, you know, for the the mental health of those folks involved, I think uh, that there is uh, an ex- a worthwhile exception to be uh, made. Let's uh, move over to Murray speaking with Ike now. Ike, what do you say about all this? Hey Lee, I've been a longtime skeptic of uh, the the, uh, the, the the positive test numbers and what they actually meant, and I've always uh, kind of been against the mandate. Although I do wear a mask myself, uh, but my uh, I've always been more interested in the hospitalization numbers. To me, that was that's the real number is hospitalizations because there's so much confusion with everything else. Right. And uh, with the hospitalizations going skyrocketing like they are, uh, I think the mask mandate is absolutely uh, not only prudent but necessary. It's to the point right now where I don't want to take a bad fall. I, I don't want to have to go to the hospital. I mean, set COVID aside. I don't want to have to go to the hospital with a broken arm or a bad cut and not be able to get treatment. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy right now. And anybody who uh, is still in denial about the COVID numbers uh, really needs to take a look at the hospitalizations and, and what that means. Yeah, I, I'm so grateful for the, the, the point that you've made there. Hospitalizations, that is uh, an objective and a finite number, one that we can look at in real terms 
Uh, it's not uh, a seemingly abstract percentage. And I'm not saying the, the percentages are abstract. It is just a little more difficult to uh, to comprehend and to measure against, you know, how many beds you have in a building or how many healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, technicians are available to care for those folks. This is a very simple input-output type calculation, and the, the hospitalization numbers do communicate uh, a great deal. And what they are communicating right now is that we are in trouble. I mentioned earlier. There are 444 people currently hospitalized here in the state of Utah battling COVID-19. That is a new record high. Uh, something's got to change, and hopefully we are on path to change that. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, I'm going to leave the phone lines open. Larissa calling from American Fork. You're on the line there. I see Amy's got her hand on the phone. Uh, we'll continue this conversation after the break. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor... You'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.